It's Thursday, May 20th, and welcome to the New York Amsterdam News Podcast. I'm Cyril Josh Barker. My guest for this episode is Natalie Wilson, co-founder of the Black and Missing Foundation. She's going to be speaking with me about the number of missing black children in America that are underreported and what her organization is doing to bring them home. Well, for the last several weeks, the AM News has been highlighting the issue of missing black girls. In New York and New Jersey, over 50 black girls are currently missing, with several going missing over the last month. The AM News highlighted the cases of 15-year-old Sanaa Amenhotep, who was missing for three weeks before she was found dead in South Carolina, and 19-year-old Bronx native Sanaya Dennis, who has been missing since April 24th in western New York. The Erie County District Attorney ruled that Dennis committed suicide. However, her family has mounting evidence to support she's alive. Natalie Wilson is the co-founder of the Black and Missing Foundation. She's on the phone with me to discuss cases of missing black children and what parents should be doing. Welcome to the podcast, Natalie. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And also on the phone with us is uh, Tony Jacobs, who is the daughter whose daughter has been missing rather uh, since 2016. And she's going to be sharing uh, with us her story. Welcome, Tony. How are you? I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm Thank doing you. fine. Thank you so much. Well, Natalie, I'm going to start with you. Uh, your organization, uh, the Black and Missing Foundation, has been around for several years. And we, you and I have spoken before. We've spoken prior even to this year. We've spoken in the past about cases of missing black children uh, that go underreported. Uh, tell us about that and what your organization is doing to bring these children, to try and bring these children home. Sure. Well, until we began to research the issue of missing persons of color, we had no idea how lopsided the numbers really are or were as they pertain to missing Americans. And when we started the organization in May of 2008, 30% of all persons missing in the U.S. were of color and mostly African American. And on May 24th of 2021 this year, it will be our 13th year anniversary, and that number has now grown to 40% of all persons missing are of color, and it's climbing. And sadly, it's a fact that law enforcement and the media, they take some cases less seriously than others, and the perception is that when black and brown people vanish, no one is going to miss them except their families. So at the Black and Missing Foundation, we are advocates for this voiceless group of individuals and their families because we believe that intense early media coverage ensures that the community is looking for the missing individual and it increases the chance of a recovery or at least answers for the families. And media attention also forces law enforcement to add additional resources to the case. So our role is to, we're not picking on anyone like law enforcement and the media because our community has an important role to play in this as well. So it takes all of us, law enforcement, the media, and our community to help protect our children from being victims of sex trafficking and to help us find us. Absolutely. And just to kind of give you folks an idea of of how this is, uh, you know, I, I believe that there's a hunger uh, in the media in some cases, although it only happens when certain media outlets speak up. We did a story earlier this month about, again, I reiterated at the top of the show that 50 black girls are currently missing between New York and New Jersey. We did that story and it went viral. You know, several news outlets picked it up. 
Uh, they were kind of dumbfounded, I guess. You know, we got the story got picked up by NBC. It got picked up. I just found out by Yahoo News. So obviously, you know, a lot of people were dumbfounded when they heard about this. Uh, and of course, a lot of those names that were on that list, no one knew. No one. It had never been reported. And I think people are asking, you know, why this is like why why it's not reported. But let me ask you a question. We know about the Amber Alerts, and I know sometimes we get Amber Alerts on our phones. Um, is that not a tool that's being used properly with our children? Because I get them sometimes on my phone if I'm out or commuting or in my home. We get an alert on our phone about a child that has gone missing or has been snatched. Is that something that's not being used with our children or how, how does that work? So what we're finding as we are working with families is that law enforcement, they're classifying our children as runaways. And if you're classified as a runaway, you do not receive or your child does not receive the Amber Alert. So therefore, you do not receive any type of media coverage at all. So that's something that we're trying to change, the classification by law enforcement of our children. And even though they left home voluntarily, we need to look for these missing individuals because ultimately we need to know what are they running away from And what are they running away to? We do know that within 24 to 48 hours of being on the streets, these kids are propositioned for sex. They're, you know, lured into sex trafficking. So that's a whole other issue that we have to deal with. But to answer your question, it goes back to the way law enforcement is classifying our children as a runaway. So they do not receive the Amber Alert or any type of media coverage. Okay. And there's one more thing I do want you to touch on before we uh, get to Ms. Jacobs. And you and I had a very eye-opening conversation a few weeks ago when I interviewed you about online digital phones and how that's, you know, causing or, or one of the causes of a lot of our children missing. Can you can you get into that just for a minute? And we, we're going to circle back to it. But tell me, just kind of glaze over the, the whole digital aspect of, of missing children, missing black children, rather. Sure. So as technology continues to evolve, our children are spending an increased amount of time online, and they are meeting these predators. I mean, we use social media for good, which is to bring awareness to our missing. The pedophiles and these pimps, they're luring our children into sex trafficking through online apps and games. So as parents, you know, we really need to take Internet safety very important and we need to report if, if your child has been contacted by someone. These kids think that they're talking to someone their age, and they're not. And what these pimps and pedophiles are doing is grooming the young one. All right. Thank you for that. We're going to circle back to that topic in a minute. But I do want to talk to you, uh, Miss Jacobs. I understand uh, that your child has been missing since 2016. And first, just let me say uh, my condolences to you. I can't imagine a situation like that uh, with a child going missing for, for several years. Uh, your child's name is I, I'm going to pronounce it. I can't. Is it Quiche? Yes, it's Keisha Jacobs. Keisha Jacobs. Mm-hmm. Okay, she's been missing since September 26th. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, and, since September 26, 2016. Please uh, tell us your story. Um, Keisha decided that she was going to go over to a friend's house. Um, um, Keisha was 21. She had just turned 21, actually, the month before in August. And, you know, then she was 21. I, I didn't question everything that she did you know, whose house you at, blah, 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 all that stuff. 
um, try to give her a little space and leeway. Keisha was never the type that would, like, go to the clubs, run the street a lot, and none of that stuff. So it didn't bother me. Usually she'll let me know when she made it where she was going safely or if she was going somewhere other than what she told me she was going. So it didn't seem as odd that she was going over a friend's house. I was like, all right, just let me know that you made it there. And then she texted me and was like, Mom, good. And I was like, all right, I love you. And then she was like, I love you too. I'll see you tomorrow. I was like, okay. Um, it didn't dawn on me that I would never see my daughter or hear from my daughter again. Um, Quiche's brother had got into some trouble and he was incarcerated. So he had just came home. I don't even think they might have been home two weeks. And they were very close. So it was odd that, like, the next day, um, usually by lunchtime, I hadn't heard about, from her for her to let me know if she's going to stay a little longer or if I need to come pick her up or whatever, whatever happens. I didn't hear from her, so I contacted her brother and was like, hey, you heard from Kiki? He was like, no, she was supposed to come home and fix me breakfast. And then I was I felt it kind of odd, but when I called her phone, it was going straight to voicemail. And normally I was like, I was just thinking, hey, she made a hung out a little later. You know, they stayed up late. You know, she's probably sleeping in or whatever. But And I kept calling her phone and it kept going to voicemail. But by the time I got off work at 5 and I hadn't heard from her, I stopped calling her friends and was like, hey, you heard from Quiche. Her phone's going to voicemail. This is not like her. Everybody was like, yeah. Miss Tony, I ain't heard from her. I'm going to check around. I'm going to call around and see if I can find her. Um, nobody had heard from her. So uh, the next day when I, after I got off work, I kept calling her phone. It was going to voicemail. kept calling her friends. And I had went to bed because I was supposed to go to work the next morning, and it didn't sit right with me. So I woke up like 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I just hit the street and was knocking on people's doors where I know that she normally would go that I done dropped her off or picked her up from. And nobody was had seen her like 2 o'clock in the morning. So I went to the police station and tried to report her missing. Um, I had called my sister that lives in Vegas, and I was like, hey, Keisha's missing. I'm crying. I can't find her. She was like, just report her missing. So I tried to report her missing. The police officer that I talked to, he was like, how you know she just don't want to be bothered? You know, that's the attitude I got. She's 21. How you know she just don't want to be bothered? I was mm, like, because wow. this is not my child. She contacts me about everything. So I know something's wrong. You know, her phone's still going to voicemail. I had to show this man text message to let him know that she lets me know everything. But in his head, she just don't want to be bothered. So that's mm. what I came up with you know, came across when I was trying to report her missing. Yeah. Um, after I reported her missing, you know, he took her name and whatever and asked for her ID. Keisha used to lose her ID all the time, so I had an extra one in my wallet. Okay. So I gave him the ID, and it was still no urgency behind it. So I went home, and it was days. I done called the police station and was like, hey, I haven't heard from anybody. Is anybody looking for her? And it was like, a detective will contact you. And nobody ever contacted me. I think, like, we was having, uh, my friends got together at Shimmeraza Park area, and we went door to door, passing out flyers and all this other stuff. And we, I still hadn't heard from the police. So this is like going on a week later. And nobody has contacted me. 
until um, somebody that lived in the house where she was last seen contacted me and told me that, you know, I can have access to this home. Mm-hmm. This is the house where she was last seen at, and anything you need, you can get it. And it just so happens that the people who lived in the house is kin to one of my nephews. Um, he's down the line, his wife's great-grandmother or something. So they gave me access to the home, and they called the police and was like, look, y'all don't need no search warrants. You don't need nothing. Just come in this house and do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. But it took them a whole week before they even took it serious or the police showed up or showed any interest in the case at all. And I know from watching all these crime stories and everything, because right. I watched special victims and all that, 24 hours is the most urgent time for you to find, if you're going to find someone that's missing. Absolutely. And they waited a whole week. Wow. And then, like, it was like, I was like at an awe. And then they waited, like, almost two years before they decided to put out there that um, foul play was suspected in Quiche's case. Hmm. When they knew it from day one. You know, it, they knew it from day one that Quiche just didn't leave. And the person that last seen her, you know, this person is incarcerated. They haven't come out and said that this is a person of interest, but this is the last person to see him, seen her. And he's incarcerated for abducting, beating another female. Wow. And the police still hasn't released his name or say he's a person of interest at all. And he's been in jail for that. And I think he gets released this year. And they tried to talk to him, but it's like they said he refused to talk. Okay, then what else can you do? You know what I'm saying? Something else needs to be done. This man knows what happened to my daughter. You know, so... That's why I'm a little frustrated. I'm sorry. No, that's totally understandable. I wanted, I wanted you, I wanted to give you the space to be able to talk about this because I think that we all need to hear firsthand what it's like. Your daughter was last seen in in Richmond, Virginia. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. um, Off of Broad Street. Yeah. Okay. And you're located in Virginia as well, or where where are you? Richmond. You're in yeah, Richmond. In okay, Richmond. you're in Richmond as well. Okay. Um, just take us through mm-hmm. what these last couple of years, I know it's hard, and I, I you know, again, our condolences to you. I can't imagine what it's uh, been like, but what, what has it been like for you um, going these past couple of years? I mean, I'm sure you're determined to find your daughter or find out what's going on. What, what has the search been like? What has what have the last uh, few years been like for you? Okay. So after Keisha went missing, Three months after Keisha went missing, my son was murdered. So it's been a struggle in between looking for her and fighting for him to make sure he gets justice for his murder. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do everything in my power um, to try to keep Keisha's name out there. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as Facebook, I speak. I do whatever I can in the community to let people know and bring awareness to the situation. But it just seems like to me, people think just because it's not happening to them, it's not happening, but it's happening more. So it's opening people's eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a struggle because I know now the more information I get, the more I know that, you know, it was a possibility that my daughter could have been found 
you know, at this point, I think the thinking is that Keisha has been trafficked. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Right. I don't believe that she's gone. I don't feel it in my heart that she's gone. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. And Natalie, we're hearing what what uh, Miss Tony just told us is something that sounds a little familiar. This same similar situation happened with the young lady in Western New York, Sanaya Dennis, whose family is saying that she would not just stop contacting us. She keeps very she keeps constant contact with us. She's always in touch with us. And in that case as well, there is a very large suspicion that she too uh, is is being sex trafficked. And again, the family just has an overwhelming amount of evidence to support that this young woman. Sanaya Dennis is alive. Um, I, I want to talk about the police situation, um, Natalie. A lot of times, again, Miss Tony just told us that her, when she went to police, it took them a week, uh, and they said that she just doesn't want to be bothered. Um, however, we both we all know that if 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 um, if her daughter was a different hue, it probably would have gotten more haste and faster attention. What what is that? Tell us what's going on with the police situation when it comes to our missing kids, because that's kind of where where a lot of people go, to, where most people go to when their child is missing is to the police. Right, right, and you know we need to also change the narrative that black and missing brown individuals they're most likely involved in some type of criminal activity. And that's, you know, the mindset that, you know, they are impoverished, you know, there are some element of crime or some type of addiction. So we tell parents all the time, you know, like Tony, you know your child better than anyone else. You know if something is wrong and they would not run away or leave home voluntarily. And you just you have to continue to be champions for your child or for your loved ones. And we see this all the time. I mean, we've heard the story, Tony's story, from countless other family members. Um, Sanaya Dennis being presumed deceased because she committed suicide, that's not the first time that we've heard that um, from families. There's a family in um, in California. Their son, Jonathan Bandabilia, um, law enforcement told them that their son committed suicide and they refused to believe it. So again, it's holding these public servants, law enforcement, accountable so that they can investigate properly. Right. Absolutely. And when we when we were told that uh, that the family was still going to look for her, um, it's interesting that whenever a high-ranking official, especially a district attorney, announces or makes a, a ruling that someone is gone missing and that they're dead or that they're presumed dead or they they're, they are they've committed suicide. And let's keep in mind also that uh, Sanaya's body has not been found. They're saying that she did commit suicide uh, and essentially alluding to the fact that she might have jumped into Niagara Falls. However, they have not recovered mm-hmm. her body, which which you know that that's also very telling. And not to mention that the family was not present at the press conference uh, when Sanaya's when that announcement was made to the public. But I'm saying all this to say that when an announcement like that is made by such a high ranking official like a district attorney, most news outlets and people they just kind of disconnect from it. They say, okay, case closed. Let's move to the next story. And families like Sanaya's uh, and and yours, uh, Miss Tony are saying, no, there's something else here. And we're going to keep looking. We're still going to keep doing what we, what we're going to do, regardless of what you say. uh, Because if you're not going to help me, I'm going to help me. And the thing I love about all these cases is that when when I was speaking to a family rep for Sanaya's case, and I'm hearing this also from you, Miss Jacobs, is that the community is really coming out Mm -hmm. and helping 
uh, people find these these children, these people who are who have gone missing, and that's so important that communities are out there helping. I mean, they've gotten so much help in Western New York to try and find Sanaya, uh, and and I'm 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 sure also in in Richmond you're getting some help as well, hopefully, um, to to find your daughter. Um, I want to talk. And I want, Josh, yes, can I yes. you back on something really yes, quickly? Please. Yes, And you know, I think that if we, as a community, we are more involved, then once this child or person has been reported missing, and we get that involvement within our communities, people can start responding and start making phone calls to the media and to law enforcement. And I hate to say this, but making demands that this African American or Hispanic child is just as important as any other child. But as a community, we need to get involved. I know that there's this no snitching um, concept in our community. I also know that our community does not like to work with law enforcement. And historically, there's been a sense of distrust. We have seen the social injustice um, towards the minority community. But at the Black and Missing Foundation, we have an anonymous tip line. So anyone who has information, please share it with us so that we can help these families reunite or at least get answers or closures. It's so important for us to speak up because it could be your mom, your daughter, your son, your husband, your grandparent, your neighbor. So speak up if you know something. Absolutely. I want to circle back now to what we talked about earlier about the digital component. And you did outline that, uh, you know, it, it, I'll just say this. Back when I was growing up in the 90s, I remember watching and even now I, I still watch it every now and then on YouTube, the To Catch a Predator uh, shows that were on NBC with Chris Hansen, where they would set up a sting operation and I think I was to this day. Mm-hmm. I'm still astounded at the number of men that were coming to meet young children. Some asking to to get the child to take them somewhere. Uh, but now with this is coming here almost 15 years later, uh, with all these other apps and things like that, where kids are talking to adults. And of course, most parent parents are hearing this and thinking, "Wow, what's going on? And what should I do?" Uh, talk about it a little more and and what you think parents should be doing to prevent this because. I think every, almost every child, most children, I'll say this, most children have some form of internet contact and they're talking to people. They have the ability to talk to people, whether it's on the phone or the computer or a tablet. What should parents be doing? Sure. So I will say that since the pandemic, our caseload has skyrocketed. And you would think it, it would go down, but it has gone up. And as our children are in a virtual environment now, they're learning online, you know, some practical steps that parents can take is, you know, set up a parental control tool on all of your Internet devices, including age-appropriate filters to block harmful website or videos and images. And we ask parents to regularly check the online community your child uses, such as social media networks, gaming sites, and see what information they are posting or what they're exposed to. And spend time with your child online to build an atmosphere of trust by establishing an ongoing dialogue and open lines of communication. And our last tip, or my last tip is, Set up a fictitious account on social media and see if you can befriend your child. You'll be surprised once you start 
grooming them or they become comfortable with you, they would share personal information. And you can use that opportunity as a means of communication to talk to them, to say, hey, you know what, I really wasn't who I said I was on social media, and you need to be careful, and and here are some things that we need to do to protect you. Um, that last tip blew me away because I know that a lot of parents or kids are might be saying, wow, that's a little bit of invasion, invasion of privacy. But, you know, I say, I remember when I was growing up, there were no, there were no locked doors in our house growing up. And so that's so important. I think I, I, I was a little blown away, but I do agree with you. So you can know more about your child. One thing I wanted you to talk about that blew me away. And this wasn't around when I was a kid, but you're saying that the video games are also, the online video games are also something that parents should watch out for. We have tons of kids. And I know some parents who have children and children in my family who are on Fortnite, for example. And you're saying even on those platforms, mm-hmm. there are adults talking to children. And I, I was telling my boss this last week. And, of course, she has a daughter. And um, she was, like, just saying, yeah, that's a thing. And I'll just kind of full disclosure, I don't have children, so I don't really know some of the apps and things that are going on. But talk about the games because that, that's something a lot of people aren't – if I didn't know about it, I know some people aren't thinking about it. But what about these games? Absolutely. Um, these games, you know, the child is interacting or playing against other people, and these predators are using it to groom these kids. So remember, it's a grooming process. They don't just meet them and the first day. You know, there are very few instances of this where they, you know, are lured into sex trafficking. It's a process. They're grooming them for quite a bit of time. So, hey, I'm your partner, you know, on Fortnite, and they become comfortable with them, but these predators are utilizing games and apps to lure our children into sex trafficking. Wow. And I know for me, I use word, words with friends a lot, and the person you're playing with, you don't know who they are, what they look like. You just, I'll talk, you're just with an opponent. They might communicate you whether or not, uh, communicate with you whether or not. So even on a game like that, you know, you're seeing contact. Um, have to also say that we we had a case here in New York City. Actually, I'm in the Bronx, and we had a case not too too far from the Bronx. Cases, rather, where there was a fairly decently sized, large sex trafficking ring that was um, that was disbanded, and there were several men taken into custody. Um, and it just kind of shocked me because one of the hotels was about a mile from me, and they were using hotels mm. here in the Bronx to sex traffic girls. And the way that they found the guys that were doing this was they set up fake online profiles to try and to try and you know as decoys to try and catch these guys but in turn the men were using um ads and apps and and social media to try and lure these girls with food and different things to try and lure them into going with them and that's how they got into the sex trafficking um you and i now are going to be talking mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks i think in june we're going to be doing another story because summer is here spring is here summer is coming although summer is pretty much here now and you t- you told me last week this week rather that black that children in general uh, tend to go missing more in the summer and the spring. And especially we're going to, I guess we're going to start seeing that as COVID-19 restrictions are lifted and people are going to start going out more. What, what's what's this thing about summer and spring being a prime time for ch- children going missing? Yes. So according to FBI stats, more kids disappear or vanish during the spring and summer months than ever before. And if you think about it, You know, they're at home. I know I was a latchkey kid. Um, 
you know, my mother couldn't afford a babysitter and she had to work. So the kids are at home. They don't have anything to do. And again, they're online and these predators are, you know, preying on them. So I'm looking forward to the discussion on, you know, providing parents with more information as to how to protect their kids, especially as the restriction is being lifted. And many parents, I was reading an article, that's their number one concern, providing or having adequate, you know, babysitting or daycare coverage for their child. All right. And Ms. Jacob, I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, I, I would like for you to uh, tell us what your next steps are uh, and where, where everything is going with you and, and what you what are your plans are to try and find your daughter. I'm just going to continue doing what I'm doing, um, speaking, um, trying to make sure I get her information out there, anywhere that will allow me to come and show her picture. That's what I do. I'm 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 adamant of finding my daughter um, and getting her information out there because the way I see it is it only takes one person. Mm-hmm. It takes one person to see her and recognize her, and that information can bring her home. It's just that I'm just hoping and praying on that. So. All right, and with that, yeah. we will we will close this episode. Tony, can oh, you yes, share? Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Can she share share something with me, Tony, last week? It was so profound. It gave me chills, actually. Do you mind sharing how you feel that your daughter is still out there alive and she will be coming home? Can you share that? Sure. Um, I shared that um, as a mother, you know, and as close as I was to my children, um, when my son was murdered, it was like I couldn't sleep that night. I, I knew something was wrong. It's like I felt it in my body that something was wrong. But then I just talked to my son. I didn't think it was him. I was thinking more cliche. And then you get that I got the knock on the door, and they told me my son was shot. Not the police, but somebody, my nephew. He said somebody messaged him and told him that my son was shot. At that point, I didn't know if he was dead or alive, so I just went to the location. And then once I got there, it was like I just I just felt it like he was gone, you know. And with Quiche, I don't feel it. Um, everything in me is telling me she's alive. I mean, from the stuff that, like, I prepare myself. Like, I don't know if people know, like, a mother, right before she's about to have a baby or whatever, you start doing a whole lot of cleaning and making sure everything is straight. That's what I'm doing. You know, I, I'm I'm getting a room together. I done put the pictures up on the wall. I done made the bed. And I told Natalie last last time we spoke that once I put those clothes in that, that drawer, I know that she's coming home. But I feel it in my heart, in my soul. I can't even explain it. But I feel like she's getting ready to come home and something's going to change and my baby's going to be home. And I, I just feel it. As a mother, I just know it in my heart that she's getting ready to come home. All right. I, I know she's not gone because I, I would have felt it. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Well, we certainly hope and pray that uh, that your daughter is found, uh, as well as the other children that are out there missing. There's so many, and we certainly hope that you you do find her. Uh, ladies, thank you so so much for coming on today. This issue was so important, and we certainly hope uh, to have you back to talk about this issue again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Be safe. That concludes this week's podcast. You can pick up the latest edition of the New York Amsterdam News on newsstands and get updates online at AmsterdamNews.com. You can also keep up with us on Facebook at NY Amsterdam News and follow us on Twitter at NY Am News. I'm Cyril Josh Barker. Thanks for listening. <laughs>